nations will rise and fall. The world will feel like it's crumbling around us. There will be times where we feel unable to carry on. Our most trusted people will hurt us. But God is still in control. God is still good. God is still providing. God is still faithful. Our God has been, is, and will be the greatest strength in our lives. We can be still because God still is. Hey, Paisley, by the way, nobody has ever clapped for me when I've read the Bible. Uh, so, oh, thank you. She, she clapped for me just for saying, anyway, good morning, everybody. So I, I do want to give a quick welcome to uh, everyone in person who does not own a cottage. Uh, we're, we're glad you're here. Also want to welcome everybody who is joining us online from their cottage. So that's like a new thing now. So uh, we uh, have reached the last week in our series going through the book of Daniel. Um, and that means today we're going to cover a little bit of the end of chapter 10, and we're going to cover all of chapter 11 and all of chapter 12. Um, and if you were here last week, you, you may remember the very last thing that we saw was, was we have this, this 80 or 90-year-old Daniel uh, who is being comforted by an angel that Jesus sent to him. And these are the last words that we saw last week. Uh, Daniel 10, verse 10 says, suddenly a hand touched me and set me shaking on my hands and knees. And he said to me, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Understand the words that I'm saying to you. Stand on your feet for I've now been sent to you. And after he said this to me, I stood trembling. And then he said, Daniel, don't be afraid. For the, from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your prayers were heard and I have come because of your prayers." Now, if you've been tracking with Daniel, oh, oh thank you. <laughs> no, please, uh, please don't ever do that again, but that was hilarious. Uh, so, 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 but thank you. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be one of those weeks, isn't it? I tell you, it is going to be one of those weeks because this week um, we are covering uh, 11 and 12, which are some of the craziest parts of the book of Daniel. Um, this is stuff that is like, to put it, it in a theological term, bananas, what we're going to cover today. And so I want you to put this all into the frame of reference of Daniel. He's an 80, 90-year-old dude, right? So when he was 17, he was brought into captivity in Babylon. And because of God's favor, he, he, went to, he rose to the top of the government. So he had some perks with that, but he had a rough life. I mean, he was thrown in, in the lion's den. He had to figure out uh, when to stand against the most powerful leaders in the world. He was given terrifying visions that he couldn't wrap his head around. And then, like Joel mentioned earlier, Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up on the scene, comforts him. An angel comes, comforts him. And the angel says to him, when you started to pray, I sprung into action. <laughs> All right, now hold on to that. And let's go to verse 13. It says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. And then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I have been left there with the kings of Persia. And now I have come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days for the vision refers to those days. So don't miss this. This is an angel talking to Daniel. And what he says to him is when you started praying, I headed out to see you, but it took me 21 days to get here. And that wasn't because there was a delayed flight 
right? It, it wasn't because he didn't have a good mode of transportation. The angel here was wrapped up in a supernatural war that was going on. A supernatural struggle that Daniel was involved in, even though Daniel didn't know he was involved in it. But Daniel was praying, and when he was praying, God was unleashing things happening in the spiritual realm. And the things that were happening in the spiritual realm were so crazy and so wild that it took Daniel three weeks to get there. And then he lists all these princes, Michael and these princes of Persia. Who are those princes? Those are angels too. Now, I want to stop here for a second and acknowledge that that sounds bananas to our brains, right? That is like B-A-N-A-N-S, right? That is absolutely crazy to us. But we, as followers of Jesus, let's admit, we already believe some crazy stuff. We believe that there is a God that created everything out of nothing, And that this God has a son who not only is his son and has been his son eternally, but also exists as God himself as well eternally. That this son stepped into creation by being born of a virgin, right? Then lived a sinless life, never did anything wrong, then died on the cross for our sins, took the penalty of our sins, was buried in the ground, rose again on the third day, walked around, ate fish, talked to people, and physically, bodily, ascended to heaven where he's seated at the right hand of God the Father, and as we've seen in the last couple of passages, will come back one day, that he sends the Holy Spirit, who's also God, to live inside of us. We already believe all of that, right? We believe in supernatural stuff. If we're a follower of Christ, we already believe that there is some stuff happening in the spiritual realm that is beyond our comprehension, And what's happening in this passage is the angel is pulling the curtain back and saying to Daniel, I'm letting you see some of this stuff. Verse 15, it says, while he was saying these words to me, I turned my face to the ground and was speechless. No, duh. He said, that's an 80s thing, by the way. Uh, Ask your parents if you don't know what that means. Um, Suddenly, one with a human likeness touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and said to the one standing in front of me, my Lord, uh, because of the vision, anguish overwhelms me, and I am powerless. How can someone like me, your servant, speak with someone like you, my Lord? I have no strength. There's no breath in me. By the way, have you ever felt that way? Like, how would God use, why would God use someone like me for anything? But he's talking to this angel, and it says, Then the one with the human appearance touched me again, strengthened me. And he said, Don't be afraid, you who are treasured by God. Peace to you. Be very strong. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And then I said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Now, what happens here for the next two chapters might be some of the most complicated and detailed prophetic stuff in the entire Bible It's two chapters. We're going to cover it in one day. There are people who have written entire books on these two chapters. Some of the commentators that I read spent more time in these two chapters than any other part of this, and we're going to cover it in one day. So we will not do it justice. I'll just save you the emails right now, right? We're going to skip our way through it. We're going to look at the high points, and we're going to look at why this stuff actually matters for us today. You ready? Here we go. The angel says to Daniel, chapter 11, verse 2, he says, now I will tell you the truth. Uh, It's here. Oh, yeah. 
Three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth will be far richer than the others. By the power he gains through his riches, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. And then a warrior king will arise, and he will rule a vast realm and do whatever he wants. But as soon as he is established, his kingdom will be broken up and divided to the four winds of heaven, but not to his descendants. It will not be the same kingdom that he ruled, because his kingdom will be uprooted and will go to others besides them. And the king of the south will grow powerful, but one of his commanders will grow more powerful powerful and will rule a kingdom that is greater than his. And after some years, they will form an alliance and the daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to seal the agreement. And she will not retain power. Um, She will not retain power and his strength will not endure. She will be given up together with her entourage, her father and the one who supported her during those times. In the place of the king of the south, one from her family will rise up, come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north and he will take action against them and triumph. He will take even their gods captive to Egypt with their metal images and their precious articles of silver and gold. For some years, he will stay away from the king of the north. Okay, that's seven verses. And after these seven incredibly detailed verses that span centuries of history, there are 40 more verses that are just like it. And this prophecy that was just given by this angel to Daniel, it happened exactly like this. It happened exactly as he prophesied it would be. In fact, it is so exact that there are people that accuse the authors of Scripture of faking this section. Right? They say that centuries later, when all of this actually came true, that people quickly wrote it down and stuffed it in to fake it. It is literally that accurate. And that is one of the reasons that I believe that this book is true. Because when I see the historicity and when I see the prophecies in this scripture actually come true the way that they said they would, it helps me to believe that this book is truly the word of God. And what it does for me is it helps me to remember that God knows what's happening in the world. He knows what will happen in this world. And he is ultimately the one that is in control. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a couple of the stuff in those, those seven, eight verses right there that we just covered. And we're going to look at it through the lens of history. And I was a history at Michigan State, so I love some of this. Some of you are going to be bored out of your skulls, but I want you to rock with me through this, okay? Because what we're going to do is we're going to look at centuries of actual secular history that lines up with exactly what this passage says. Let's go back and look at this on a timeline. What it says is this, three more kings will arise in Persia and the fourth will be far richer than the others. By the power he gains through his riches, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. You got that in your head? Let's look at it again. Three more kings are going to arise in Persia. Then a fourth king is going to arise in Persia that is stronger than the others. And that guy is going to pick a fight with Greece. Okay, this is predicted to Daniel, prophesied to Daniel through the angels. Now let's look at history right here, timeline. Told you we're going to nerd out. 535 to 534 BC, Daniel receives the vision. Remember, this is BC before Christ, which means the smaller the numbers get, the later it gets, right? So this is leading up to the time of Christ. So after this time when this was predicted, these are the things that happened. 530 BC, Cambius becomes king. That's one. 
2, 522 B.C., Smyrdas becomes king. That's the second king. Third, 521 B.C., Darius I, Histosopes. I've been really working on this. It's Egyptian, uh, Chaldean, and Syrian language today, and I really suck at all those. So um, Darius I, Histosopes, becomes king. And then 485 B.C., Xerxes becomes king. What did that prediction say? Three kings... And then the fourth king that comes will be more powerful than the others, and he will stir up a fight against Greece. Xerxes is the most powerful of all of these kings. He is the most wealthy of all of these kings. And what did he do? He started a fight with who? Alexander the Great of Greece, exactly as it was prophesied. When it says there's a warrior king that will arise, he'll rule a vast realm and do whatever he wants. This is Alexander the Great. Let's look at this right here. Let's pop Alexander the Great in there. 334 to 330 BC, Alexander the Great conquers Asia Minor, Syria, Egypt, and Medo-Persia. And then 323, Alexander the Great dies, by the way. This is the warrior king. And what happened when he died? Did his son just take over, this great and powerful leader? Did his son take over, which you would expect? Nope. Just like the prophecy said, his kingdom was split into four pieces. What did it say? It would get scattered amongst the four winds, right? Four different generals, which were his generals, each took over and divided up his empire. That's what happened. And in 304, I think it's there, 304, Ptolemy Soter becomes king of Egypt. What is this? This is one of the generals whose empire grew. But as his empire grew in power, there was another one that grew in power as well. Now, we are now 250 years after the prophecy was given. So let's stop for a second, go back and read the scripture about it. Ready? It says, then a warrior king will arise. Um, uh, Then a warrior king will arise. He will rule a vast realm and do whatever he wants. But as soon as he is established, his kingdom will be broken up and divided into the four winds of heaven. Those are the four generals, not his descendants. His son didn't take over. It will not be the same kingdom that he ruled. Why? Because it's split in two and now we have Egypt and we have Syria uh, because his kingdom would be uprooted and go to others besides him. This is when Greece falls apart. The king of the south will grow powerful, but one of his commanders will grow more powerful and rule a kingdom greater than his. Who is that guy? Let's go back to our timeline in 305. One of his generals Selicus the first, Nicator, goes on to become the king of the north, the king up in Syria. All of these things that were predicted, that were prophesied by the angel to Daniel, happened exactly in the detail that Daniel described them to be. Now, just one more thing. Remember that whole section at the end that I read about there was this daughter and a king and there were alliances that fell apart, Right? Let's go look at that, and and I'm going to have to pull out my notes here because, quite frankly, it's too hard for me to remember all of these details. So I'm going to read it off of here. Let's go back to the verses here. It says, after some years, they will form an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to seal the agreement. What happens is, Ptolemy the first died in 285 BC, and his son ruled until 246. And in 281, Seleucus was murdered. That's the guy, remember, went to the north? And his son, Antichus, ruled after him. His grandson ruled until 246. So Ptolemy the second and Antichus the second hated each other. The king of the north, the king of the south, they hated each other. So how did they try to solve what they hated? What they tried to solve is to have a marriage happen between Antichus 
and um, Telemi's daughter. So Telemi's daughter went to marry Antichus. The problem is this whole thing was supposed to seal the alliance. Let's go after, let's look to the next one here. Uh, she will not retain power and his strength will not endure. She'll be given up together with her entourage, her father and all those who supported her during the times in the place of the king of the south. The family will rise up against the army. That seems like a lot, but listen what happened. This is exactly what happened. Bernice, who is the ex-wife of the king of the north, found out that um, he was marrying this, this daughter of the king of the south. And so she has her killed and then she poisons the father kills all the people exactly as this text said and then what happens let's read the next one and will enter the king of the north he will take action against them in triumph he will take even their gods captive to egypt with their metal images their precious articles of silver and gold and for some years he will stay away from the king of the north and what happened after this all happened the guy from egypt takes all of the riches from the kingdom of the north and brings it back down to egypt Now, I know this sounds a lot like Real Housewives of Persia. (laughs) But this was all prophesied by an angel and written down centuries in advance of it happening. Hundreds of years in advance of it happening. I want you to notice a theme in this passage and all of Daniel. Kingdoms rise. They gain power. And then they fall. Kingdoms rise. They gain power, and then they fall. But God remains the same. His character, his power, his ultimate control remains the same. Now, what happens is in verse 35, something really cool happens. Let me read verse 35. 11, I got to turn my page. 35. It says, some of those who have insight will fall so that they may be refined, purified, and cleansed until the end of time, for it will come at the appointed time. Now, there's a lot of godly Christians who disagree with some of the interpretations throughout Daniel. There is widespread agreement, not everybody, but a lot of agreement on the details of what's happening right here. And what people believe, theologians believe, I believe, is the lens now shifts from the immediate centuries right after Daniel's time to our future, from Daniel's future to our future. It's not the end of this king and that king or this kingdom and that kingdom. It's now about the end (laughs) where there will only be one king that rules forever. Remember, God knows what's happening, what will happen. He's in control. Look at verse 36. And then the king will do whatever he wants. He will exalt and magnify himself above every God and he will say outrageous things against the God of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed because of what has been decreed will be accomplished. Who is this random king he's talking about? Let's keep reading. Um, Down in verse 40, at the time of the end, the king of the south will engage him in battle, but the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, horsemen, and many ships, and he will invade countries and sweep through them like a flood. So who is this leader, and when is this leader leading? Well, it says, at the end of the end, at the time of the end. This is a leader that has already been talked about in Daniel. You may remember when we were back in chapter 7, his kingdom was referred to as a beast, (laughs) In verse 23, it says, this is what he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth, trample it down, and crush it. So who is this leader? This leader is the one that the Bible refers to as the Antichrist. 
And there is a picture in Daniel that this leader, this Antichrist that will one day come, will be lawless, which means that he will make his decisions and and his desires, the only law of the land, whatever he wants is what he gets. Um, He will be arrogant, he will claim to be God, he will seduce many, he'll be ruthless, he'll be manipulative. And and even listen to this description, uh, going back to Daniel 11, verses 44 through 45, it says, but reports from the east and the north will terrify him, He's not God. He he can freak out. And he will go out with a great fury to annihilate and completely destroy many. He will pitch his royal tents between the sea and the beautiful holy mountain, but he will meet his end with no one to help him. And this sea here, almost universally people agree, is the Mediterranean Sea. And the mountain is either Mount Sinai or Mount Carmel in the Bible. It doesn't really matter which one it is because right in between the Mediterranean Sea and Mount Sinai and Mount Carmel is a place called Armageddon. And it says, at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands watch over your people, will rise up. And there will be a time of distress such has never occurred since nations came into being until that time. But at that time, all your people who are found written in the book will escape. Many will sleep in the dust of the earth and will awake, some to eternal life and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. What we see here is what will happen in the end And when you pull together everything in Daniel, all these crazy prophecies, and you muddle them all together, here's what you get. There will one day be a world ruler, a world religion, a world war, a time of great tribulation for Israel, deliverance for God's people, resurrection either to life or to judgment. And that is all still in the future. Okay, what do we do with this? I grew up in the 80s. For those of you guys who remember the 80s, we were in the throes of the Cold War. And many of you are too young to remember this, but a lot of Christians were convinced that the Soviet Union was the kingdom of the North (laughs) and that they were eventually gonna come down and they were gonna invade Israel. And we were all freaked out that Armageddon was coming. It was like tomorrow, right? That's what we all believed. And then the Soviet Union went, right? And then I'm on TikTok last week, scrolling as one does. Um, And there I see this guy talking about, well, well, looks like Russia's resurgent. The kingdom of the North is back. And so now, good luck, people. We're going to start talking about this again in our culture. And this is not just from the 80s to now. This has happened down through history for 2,000 years. People have tried to figure out when is the end going to happen? Who is the Antichrist? And we always seem to think, oh, it's now, right? There's earthquakes. There's wars. There's rumors of wars. There's famines. And, and we always look at a leader that we don't like. It's Hitler or it's Mao or it's Putin or the last three presidents. I've all seen all of them called the Antichrist, Right? Right? And it's so easy to get worked up about this stuff. I mean, no wonder Daniel freaked out. No wonder we have him mourning for three weeks at one point. We have him not able to get out of bed at another point. We have him constantly laying down on his face, freaking out after he hears about these visions. No wonder. So the next time somebody tags you, in a breathless post purporting to know when the end of the world is or who the Antichrist is, 
I just want you to flip open your Bible to 2 Thessalonians 2, where it says this. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in that way. For that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. Remember, because he got to the end and there was no one there to help him. (laughs) The guy's doomed. He opposed and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. So he sits in God's temple proclaiming that he himself is God. And here's the thing. This is my view. My view is, according to this passage and Matthew and Daniel and Revelation, there will be a day when a world leader pops up in the middle of a world religion and a world war, and he plops himself down on the temple in Jerusalem, and he declares that he's God. And by the way, there is no temple in Jerusalem right now. You don't have to freak out. I think that day is coming. He'll declare himself God. And until that day, we don't need to panic. We don't need to freak out. And it's important because there's something more important for us to do. It's actually a couple verses later because Paul writes this. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way. What does that mean? (laughs) Well, there's two significant truths in this passage. The first is this mystery of lawlessness already at work. What does that mean? All things that make the Antichrist the Antichrist, this mystery of lawlessness, are already working in our world today. Remember that description I gave earlier of this Antichrist, this man of lawlessness? How do we know who he is? Well, he's lawless, which means he makes his own desires the only law he has to follow. He's arrogant. He claims to be God over his own life. He seduces many, including himself. He's ruthless and manipulative. Whenever those things are us, whenever those things are in the world, it's the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, I'm not saying you're the Antichrist. I'm not saying I'm the Antichrist, but the same self-oriented, selfish, sinful desires that will one day drive him often are the things that drive us. So we shouldn't be so worried about the end of the world that we don't take time to examine our own hearts. There are so many difficult marriages and societal dysfunctions and personal angst that is caused by this sort of deception. I'm the boss of me. I'm the ruler unto myself. And then we deceive ourselves and we become manipulative of ourselves and others. We measure our, our, how good the world is by how happy and satisfied we are. But there's a second glorious truth in this passage. Remember I told you there were two? But the one now restraining will do so until he's out of the way. What does that even mean? Who is this restrainer? This is God himself. This is the Holy Spirit. Remember I said the Holy Spirit comes down and lives inside of us? He is the restraining spirit who is restraining the spirit of the Antichrist in our age. That means no matter how terrible the world may seem, it can and will get worse. (laughs) 
Things are not as bad as they could be or as bad as they will be. And one day he will stop restraining and the wheels will come off. Not to panic us, but what do we do? We see a key in 1 John chapter 4 where he writes this. Dear friends, don't believe every spirit, (laughs) but test the spirits to see if they're from God because many false prophets have gone into the world. And this is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have already heard is coming. Even now, it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Listen to John. John says, don't believe everything you hear. Test everything you hear. Through what lens? Through the lens of Jesus. Through the lens of Jesus, confessing Jesus. The most important test is, is it about Jesus or is it about something else? To confess Jesus is to say that Jesus is who Jesus said he was. That Jesus is the son of God who became the son of man. And by the way, uh, so many people you know, freak out about Jesus being the son of God. The shocking thing is that he was the son of man. The fact that Jesus was not only God himself, but he was fully human. That as a fully human person, he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross, not to save himself, but to rank himself underneath us, the most selfless, selfish, anti-antichrist thing you could be. So that he could offer us his righteousness. He could offer us his kingdom. He could offer us his eternal life. It's about Jesus. And so we believe in Jesus. And that gives us hope and peace and confidence. Why? Because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. That no matter how bad this world's getting, and it's going to get pretty bad, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We believe in God who knows what is happening, what will happen, that he is in control, and we believe in his son who saved us, and there's a very real spiritual battle happening out there. But we know who wins, and that's what matters. I love Daniel's response to all this. If you go all the way back to Daniel, here's how Daniel ends. He said, I heard, but I did not understand. <laughs> Again, this is, this is the end of Daniel. He said, so I asked, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these things? Let me just translate that, that in modern American English. I don't get it. <laughs> like, like I, I, I don't. I don't get this. And remember, I only covered seven verses and there were 47, right? He's like, I, I don't get this. And the angel said, go on your way, Daniel, for the words are secret and sealed until the time of the end, and many will be purified and cleansed and refined, but the wicked will not, wicked will act wickedly. None of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. Here's what he's saying to Daniel. He's like, Daniel, it's okay. I know you don't get all this. Just go on your way. It'll become important when it's important. It'll become important at the end. Until then, you know what? The wicked are going to act wickedly. The wicked are not going to understand. You have insight, so just hang on to that insight. And let me read the last verse in Daniel. I don't have it on the screen because I just want you to hear it. This is what he says. He says, but as for you, Daniel, go on your way to the end. You will rest and then you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of days. Remember verse 12? 
That's where the gospel lived in this passage. It says, at the end of days, all will resurrect. Some to eternal life and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. And what he's saying to Daniel is, Daniel, you looking forward to Jesus, even though he didn't know his name and he just met him, he's like, you will inherit eternal life. And now we, those of us who look back on Jesus, who see him for who he is, who believe in him, we will be right there with Daniel in the end. We will rest and then we will rise to eternal life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this crazy passage of scripture. And we thank you that we don't have to be afraid. That as this world gets hard and, and it gets harder and, and things just seem out of control, we can know that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. So we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that one day he will sit on his throne in his kingdom and we will be there with him. That he will rule for all eternity. And for those of us who have believed in him, we will resurrect to life. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.